being you know three or four minutes away, it was a great feeling this morning to wake up and do that. Almost could have walked, but I'm not that ambitious. <laughs> you know, um, we're often wondering why certain people just don't believe in the Lord. The evidence is so overwhelming, and the options of rejection are so, uh, you know, awesome that you think, why in the world do people reject Jesus? And often when I talk to people who have heard about him and chosen not to walk with him, I kind of don't get it. Because that simple belief that opens the door to just an abundant life and a promise of eternity and all. But, you know, at the same time, I look at my own life, I look at everyone else's life that I know too, and in the same way that there are people who can't bring themselves to believe in Jesus, even those of us who know him and have met him often find in areas of our lives where we really don't believe as we should. We find ourselves coming short of that complete trust in him. Every time we worry and complain, we're showing a lack of belief. Every time we are frazzled and doing things that are counterproductive to what God has for us, we're showing that we too have these lacks of faith, these lacks of belief. And, and it's what we need, it's what we live on, it's our, it's our breath as believers, and yet it's what makes us believers is that we believe, and, and yet so often we don't believe the way we really should. Here in Mark chapter 6, we have strung together several stories that Mark goes through about Jesus. And, and in each one of them, there's depicted at least one reason why some people don't believe, including why we sometimes fail to believe. And I think it's what ties the stories together and they have in common. And so hopefully as we look through this chapter quickly, we will be able to get some clues as to why some of the people that, we, that we're sharing the Lord with and that we're so desiring for them to turn their lives over to the Lord, maybe we'll figure out, at least understand why. And then even more so than that, in our own lives when our belief fails, maybe we will see some things that we have in common with, with those who have yet to receive Jesus Christ. It starts out with Jesus going back to his hometown. He grew up there in Nazareth, and it was a poor town. There was, well, you remember when Jesus was calling his disciples, one of his disciples, when he heard Nathaniel, when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, he goes, oh, great. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was the wrong side of the tracks. And you'd think that when a local boy had made good, and now Jesus was becoming famous and doing a lot of good works, you'd think that when he came back to Nazareth, they would have welcomed him with open arms. But it's kind of interesting what actually happened. It says, he went out from there and came to his own country. And his disciples followed him, probably thinking, oh, this will be great. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get this stuff? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So they heard him, and they saw him, and they were like, wow, 
But they went on. Hey, wait a minute. I recognize this guy. Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary? Brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. They were surprised that Jesus could do what he did, since they remember what he was like, you know. He just grew up and worked in a carpenter shop. They kind of thought, you know, we can't take him seriously. He was amazed that They couldn't respond to him. He spoke their language. He knew them. They saw him growing up and saw how different he was. And yet for them, what they were emphasizing is how he's like them. Now, it mentioned a bunch of of Jesus' brothers. They were half-brothers. And his sisters also, who still lived in Nazareth. The boys grew up and got out of town. But the girls were still living there and married Nazarene guys. Now, first of all, and it's a little off topic, but there are people who have believed that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born, which the Bible clearly teaches, but that she stayed a virgin for the rest of her life and didn't have any other kids. Um, The Catholic Church teaches this, and they call it the perpetual virginity of Mary. This passage makes that completely impossible because it names all these half-brothers that Mary and Joseph had after Jesus was born. So Jesus was the oldest. All these other guys were, and girls were born later. Now, there are Catholics who try to deal with this and, and say, well, Joseph had these kids before he married Mary and didn't have them with Mary. But if you look at the argument that these people are trying to make, that doesn't make any sense at all. For one thing, Joseph would be pretty old if he had all these other kids, and then he marries a young virgin. That's probably even more of a stretch. But, but you know, their whole point was Jesus is related to these other people. There's, it, it was kind of an intellectual argument, their attempt at an intellectual argument, by saying that genetically he is like us, he is like his brothers, his sisters, comes from the same kind of gene pool. Now, they probably knew that he wasn't the son of Joseph because that had been spread around a lot and they believed that he was illegitimate. But they knew he was the son of Mary, as were these other kids, and that's why they're saying, how could this work? So they rejected him. Jesus said, typical, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. In other words, familiarity breeds contempt. I don't know if you've noticed, but reaching your relatives is one of the hardest things to do, impressing your relatives. There may be lots of other people who think you're great and can do great things, but your family still remembers your diapers. They still remember, you know, we know who you are, and and, and if they see you doing something great, they will so often, you know, think that, oh, you think you're better than us Nazarenes, don't you? And, and so often, where you grew up is the hardest place for you to actually make an impact. 
People who don't know you see you, and they go, oh, you're great. It's why a lot of people, in order to really get ahead in business sometimes, if you start out in a company and you work your way up, often you need to go move to another company where they're impressed with you. Because in that old company that you've worked at, even though you've been so consistent for so long, they'll always kind of look at you as, yeah, I remember when you were just an intern here. I remember when you were in the stock room. And, and they won't give you the same benefit of the doubt that people at a different place might. I, I know, and I appreciate the way people respond to me here when I teach, but I know It's sometimes different if I go and guest speak somewhere else. And I I really don't like guest speaking. But the good thing about it is I can just go say the same stuff that you hear me saying all the time, and people think it's really good. (laughs) Now, you've heard it. You know, I keep repeating the same stories, and you're like, yeah, I know, you don't like vegetables, you like ultimate fighting, blah, 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 and I just get onto the text, and, you know, but I'll go somewhere else, and they'll go, oh, this guy's so funny, and it's like, here people don't, people are laughing are the new people, and, you know, (laughs) it's true that when you're really used to something, you can just start to take it for granted. And, and that's a problem with belief sometimes, and it was for them, as, as Jesus said. See, when we see something all the time, eh, we're used to it. It's one reason why it's so fun to spend time with little kids, because everything is kind of new and exciting with them. They take a fresh look, and when you have kids, it affects the way you see the world. You know, I haven't been to Disneyland in years, and don't, have, don't make any plans to go there in the next few years. I have friends who work there. I could get in for free, but it's like Disneyland. I've been there. I know, oh, you haven't been on half the rides there. I've been on rides, okay? <laughs> and so I'm kind of jaded when it comes to that. But if you, and, and I anticipate someday if the Lord gives us grandkids, all of a sudden Disneyland's going to be a real cool place again. You know, because you see it through their eyes. You take a little kid who hasn't been there, and they're like, oh, Mickey Mouse, oh, look at it. And it's one of the great things about having kids is you start to look at the world again. You start to look at it through a different lens, through a different perspective. It's kind of like people who come here on vacation. You know, everyone who visits California lives somewhere inferior to California, and... (laughs) And they come here and they're like, wow. And we're just like, what? Our weather's boring. You guys have seasons. They go, believe me, in the summer when it's 95 degrees, 95% humidity, you don't want seasons. In the winter when you're shoveling snow, you don't want seasons. And we're like complaining because, yeah, it was kind of overcast this morning, but it'll burn off by, you know, (laughs) 1030. We just take it for granted. People come here new and they're like, wow. You live like this? You know, they'll watch the, the Rose Parade and move to California. Because, but for us, we're like, what? This is just California. We're used to it, of course. In the same way, when it comes to spiritual things sometimes, you can, you can begin to reject them subtly just because you're so used to them. And there are people who don't give their life to Jesus Christ because 
I grew up, I heard the stories, yeah, 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 Christmas, baby in a manger, somehow he ends up on a cross and rose from the dead, okay, fine, you know, I've heard it, I'm familiar with it. Whereas someone who hasn't heard all that, they hear the story like a child would, and it's why Jesus said you have to enter like a child, because they go for the first time, it's like God became a baby? And he grew up and he lived a perfect life and he loved us so much that he died for us and came back from the dead. Wow. And he, he floated up in the sky and he's going to come back for us. And we just have to believe. Oh, easy piece of cake. I'll believe in him. And you sometimes go to other cultures and tell that story and they just line up to accept Jesus. It's amazing. I know right now we're, you know, there's a, there's a man, Chom No, over in Cambodia, who um, we've helped support some of his ministries, and some of you helped him go put some wells in some villages. And this is out in the middle of nowhere in Cambodia, and these people haven't heard about Jesus, and all they know is somebody comes in and gives them water, and now they're telling them about Jesus. And Steve Bailey was just over there in Cambodia to help baptize hundreds and hundreds of new converts who just couldn't wait to accept Jesus. And you tell people today about them, and they're like, oh, yeah, I know. But, you know, there's so many different ways and so many different stories. Familiarity can breed contempt. We need to be careful that we don't just hear all the stuff and then miss it and miss the point. And a lot of this is masked under intellectual objections. They had their biological reasons why they felt like Jesus couldn't be anything special. And there are people who come up with their arguments against Christianity, and it's usually something really silly. It's not deep thinking. Real deep thinkers don't reject Christianity. Generally, it's people who heard some surfacey kind of argument, and our whole society, we're kind of a you know, mile wide and an inch deep. And, and so people go, oh yeah, I don't believe in Jesus. The Bible just has too many contradictions in it. And you go... Oh, really? Why don't you share some? Well, you know, I don't know. I just know there's a bunch of them. <laughs> kind of like the way people form their opinions on how to vote or, you know, the way everybody today thinks they're an economist because, because uh, you know, they understand what happened with the economy and, boy, it's a bunch of idiots that are running the banks and, the, you know. You don't know. Come on. You, you don't understand these things. You have some opinion based on some talk show host or whatever. Most of us, most of us know what we know based on what Letterman tells us, you know, and, and, and that's kind of the way it is sometimes. Without taking the time to come and hear the actual explanation of how Jesus could be God, Without really giving it an opportunity, it's just this familiarity sort of, ah, yeah, Jesus, I know him. I know, his, know one of his sisters. I know him. I've, we grew up on the same street. Yeah, but do you know him? Ah, uh, come on. You think I'm going to believe somebody from Nazareth? I'm from Nazareth. Look at me. And that's kind of the way we look at life, just with this jaded perspective. Sometimes it keeps us from really entering into a deep relationship with the Lord, too. Because we just hear it all the time. We have K-Wave on in our car like Muzak in the background. and We're not really studying the word for ourselves, but we know the language. We've got it down. We've heard it. Sometimes we're not going to change our life over it or anything. I'm about as spiritual as I really need to be. I know the 
stuff, I go to church. I have a Bible. I don't need to read it. I put money in the offering and they read it to me, you know? And, but again, it's so, it's so typical that we believe in a shallow way because we think we already know it all. I've read the Bible. I don't need to really be reading it. And yet we don't plummet for the depths of its truth and allow it to transform our lives in the way that God wants it to. And so these people in Nazareth fell into unbelief because of familiarity and because of a really casual intellectual objection that they had. But now as we, and we're going to have to move through the chapter a little quicker than that, but now next talks about sending out the 12 disciples. And he commissioned them to go out and work miracles and, and preach to people. But he told them, if people won't listen to you in verse 11, whoever won't receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. There were places that the disciples would go, and Jesus compared them to Sodom and Gomorrah, the two cities that were destroyed because of their gross immorality and their refusal to repent. And he said, you know what? There are some people who are just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They're not going to repent no matter what you tell them. So you just you know, brush the dust off your feet and move on, and you go tell people who will listen to you, you guys need to repent, you need to change. And this gives us a clue as to another reason why people don't believe. Some people don't believe because they don't want to change. They don't want to believe something that means I might need to do something different. They're threatened by it. And so people will often believe really goofy things if those goofy things don't make them change. For instance, there are people who can believe that Life was not created on this planet by God, but that we were placed here by some little green men who came in spaceships a long time ago. And that is so stupid. But why people can believe it, intelligent people can believe it, because if some little green man plopped us here and then we evolved, well, the little green men don't care what we do. They don't tell us to live a certain way. And so there's a real freedom knowing that you came from little green men being planted here and evolving, whereas if, if God created us here with a purpose, then God has a book that tells us how to live, and we ought to do it that way. It would make sense. But people are able to completely change what they believe if what they want to believe lets them live the way they want to live. And... We know people who won't accept Jesus Christ because they don't want to let go of parts of their sinful lifestyle. But be careful because there are also those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ and yet still there are parts of his word that we don't want to obey because we don't want to change. The whole thing about coming to the Lord is, God, can you fix us? Can you salvage us? There's something wrong with me. If you don't think there's anything wrong with you, God doesn't have a message for you. He'll say, fine, do it your way. And, and, you know, and that's what C.S. Lewis said, there are two kinds of people in the world. 
those who come to the Lord and say, Thy will be done. And those to whom the Lord says to them, All right then, have it your way. And when you hear that, oh, that is destructive. And it'll happen for Christians as well as non-Christians when God will say, you know what? Fine. Do it your way. There are times when there are sins that we used to commit and it used to really bother us, but we just keep doing it anyway. And after a while, you quit feeling bad about it. But what that is is God's allowing us to now pay the consequences of those stupid choices because he knows that when our belief breaks down because of our sin, because of our rebellion, the only hope for us is for us to see what that sin is going to ultimately do for us. And sometimes he will say, okay, fine, go ahead, live your way. In that way, we, though we can be very similar to people who are rejecting Jesus Christ because they don't want to change. But you know what? If you haven't come to the point where you realize you need to change, then you're not really ready to hear what he has to say. And again, that's not just to people who have outright rejected Jesus Christ. That's for all of us. If you think you're pretty good the way you are, whenever I sit down and counsel with someone, if what they're telling me is they're doing everything right and their life is still messed up and therefore it's someone else's fault, I don't have a lot of help for you. If you're doing everything right, then I don't know what you ought to do. Life just stinks, I guess. You're surrounded by people who are worse than you and they're ruining your life. The only hope for us is when we realize I need to change. But there are some people who won't believe because they don't want to change. And that's an example here. Now it goes on in the next section, and it talks about King Herod, Herod the Great. A man who, and in this story, it ends up telling about how he cut John the Baptist's head off. Now that had happened previously, but here Herod is talking about Jesus, and at first glance... You think he's just a complete idiot. And, I, and I'm making my outline, uh, you know, as I was going through, okay, some people don't believe because of familiarity or because of intellectual problems. And then some people don't believe because of their sin and their, not, their unwillingness to change. And my next point was some people don't believe because they're stupid. <laughs> because look at this. King Herod, verse 14, heard of Jesus. For his name had become well known, and he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Some people thought Jesus was Elijah. Some people thought he was the prophet or one of the prophets. Herod goes, no, he's John the Baptist, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. That's just stupid. Jesus and John the Baptist are cousins. They, they're almost the same age, that would be like saying that, you know, I, you know, am who I am because I am, say, John F. Kennedy reincarnated. I was alive. I was born. You know, Kennedy was alive for another 11 years after I was born. Wait a minute. How could this work? But Herod is coming up with such a stupid suggestion, but there's something else behind it. Because as we read on, it tells the story of Herod and John the Baptist. And see, Herod was really fascinated by John the Baptist, 
respected him greatly, listened to his teaching and was really contemplating them. But something happened. John the Baptist told, called Herod out for a gross sin that was in his life. Herod had married, had gotten involved with and then ultimately married his brother's wife, Herodian. And John the Baptist told him publicly it's a sin for you to do what you've done. Now, Herod knew it, because after he marries his sister-in-law, he probably figured out really quick this was a bad idea. But she, Herodian, was really offended by this. And so she hated John the Baptist, as it goes on here. And Well, it says, uh, it says um, John had said to Herod, verse 18, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, respected him, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. But as you read on in the story, Herodian's daughter came in, and Herod was probably drunk at a party, and she did this sleazy dance in front of him, and he was so impressed with it, he and his friends, that you know he said to Herodian's daughter, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And so she went to her mom, hey, what should I ask for? She said, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a plate. Oh, gross. And yet here, Herod respects John the Baptist, but he goes ahead and has his head cut off and gives it to the girl who gives it to her mom. They were happy. How in the world could Herod do such a thing to someone that he was really kind of respecting and listening to? Well, as you read down here, you'll see in verse 26, after, he, after she told him that, it said, The king was exceedingly sorry, yet, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. So he went and had John's head cut off. Now here's a guy who, in his heart, he was feeling there's something here. He was wanting to believe he was listening to what John had to say, and he knew that John was a good guy and no doubt heard what John had said about Jesus being the Messiah even. But he was concerned about what people thought of him. He was concerned about peer pressure. Even his wife nagging him hadn't been enough. But all the people around him, he couldn't stand to be disgraced. Well, here's what they expect from me, so I better do it. And when you begin to put pleasing people as the number one drive of your life, you will always end up letting go of belief, letting go of faith, letting go of what really matters. See, it's amazing how people can actually ultimately reject the truth because they're worried about what people think. Now, Shouldn't the truth be what matters to us? Shouldn't he have listened and said, well, look, this just isn't right. And I don't care what I said, and I don't care what my friends think. His friends were all people who worked for him, for crying out loud. Why was he so concerned about impressing them? And yet he was worried about what they would say of him, and as a result, he rejected the truth. And there are people who reject Jesus Christ because they're afraid of what people will think of them if they accept him. They've seen some real goofy Christians, and they're afraid they're going to turn into one of those. And they've always said, there's, 
Oh, well, another satisfied customer. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're looking and they're like, boy, this sounds good, but no way, couldn't be. You know, people make fun of me. And, and therefore, they reject that which could save them because they're concerned about how they look and what people would think. See, the thing about faith, and there are a lot of Christians, by the way, who do this, they guide their life completely on what other people think. They make their decisions based on other people's opinions rather than hearing from God. There are things that, you know, there are times when you might feel like, I think God is calling me to do this, but, oh no, how would I ever explain it? How, what would people think? And so we develop these traditions and we live our lives by traditions rather than by faith, rather than doing what God tells us to do. Now, we have a, a holiday coming up, Halloween. Now, Halloween is, celebrates all kinds of really bad things, and we all know that. And So we do a party here for the kids as an alternative, and we call it a harvest festival or something, so pe like people won't notice that it's on the same day as Halloween. But... <laughs> And, and I, it's a great thing, and I'm thankful for it, and, and it's wonderful. But what if you really felt like God wanted you to stay at your house and, and pass out candy to trick-or-treaters and tell them God bless you and be a good example to them that way? Oh, no, you can't do that. Come on, there's nothing wrong with the little candy bars. That's what we're going to give them here. And nobody's going to get possessed from a little Snickers bar. But there are some people who are so paranoid about this, like they can't even think about whether or not maybe we should do this. Oh, no, Christians wouldn't do that. You know what? That's just as bad as anyone else who lives their life trying to please people instead of listening to what God wants to tell you. Because, you know, he might want you to do something one year and do something else the next. He might want most of your friends to do one thing and you to do something else. But until we get over this Herod complex of going, well, I feel one way and I think this, but, you know, I better do what people expect. Even doing the right things for the wrong reasons is a lack of faith. Ultimately, we need to do what God tells us to do. That's what walking by faith is. And again, it's a real fresh approach. It means we look at everything individually. Just like before I said, when you start living your life by habit and just going through the motions, how deadly, how life-killing that is, well, Living life that way, not noticing anything and not thinking for yourself, but letting other people do your thinking for you, that is one of the attitudes that leads to being jaded. Just living your life on autopilot and not noticing everything that's around us, not noticing what God does, not listening to his voice. And so some people do fail to believe because they're more worried about what people think than about what God says. And Herod was an example of that. And you'll run into plenty of people who are that way. The peer pressure. Now next in this chapter is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Starts out, they, the disciples had been ministering and working, and, and they really wore themselves out, but they were telling Jesus about it all. And verse 31, Jesus said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. 
for there were many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. We love this verse, verse 31. I've heard many good sermons preached on it. I've seen it as the theme of retreats, as people getting away. And we can all relate to the, to the idea of the Lord telling us, come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. Boy, does that sound good. My, my son and daughter-in-law just got back from their honeymoon in Fiji. And they were off on this deserted island and just by themselves, no TV, no technology, you know, just just enjoying the beauty and everything. And as they were telling us about it, it was just like, oh man, does that sound good? And yet, in real life, so often, just as here with the disciples, what we don't talk about when we quote this verse is we don't read the next few verses and find out Jesus took them off to a deserted place, but there were people there too. And they ministered some more. And often, we won't get the break that we think, oh, I so need it. You know what? Sometimes... They're needy people who will get in the way of our ability to fulfill that. And as you read on, they departed to a deserted place in a boat, but the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot, and they arrived and came together. In verse 34, Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And the disciples were like, what? Not again. We need a break. We're so tired. They saw one thing and Jesus saw another. He had a different perspective than they had because he couldn't possibly look without having compassion. Now, as you read on, they said to him, uh, you know, send them away. Oh, they go, in verse 35, the day was far spent. His disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Remember he said in verse 31, come on, go off to a deserted place and rest. They were like, "Uh, this is deserted. If you'd get rid of these people, and it's late, would you stop it? Jesus was surrounded by people who were constantly trying to talk him out of ministry. And you'll see the same. There will be people who will tell you, Oh, don't do that. You need to get away. You need to stop. You need to slow down. Well, that may be true, but you always have to listen to God rather than the voices of those people because in this case, the disciples were hungry and tired, and Jesus was full of compassion. So the disciples said, get rid of these people. Look, they're hungry. Send them to a restaurant. And by the way, we're hungry too, But Jesus looked at the people and had compassion, and he said, why don't we feed them? And the disciples mockingly said, what? You think we have the money to feed all these people? And by the way, what grocery store are we going to buy this food at? But you know the story. Jesus said, well, what do we have? And they checked around, and there was a little boy who had five little biscuits and a couple of little fish. And Jesus said, that'll do. And he sat the people down, and he prayed, and he broke the bread and the fish, and and there was enough food there as he began to multiply it that everybody ate, and there were 12 baskets left over at the end. Jesus had a different perspective than the disciples. Now, in this case, they didn't have the faith that he had. They didn't think they could feed these people, and they really didn't think they could handle any more ministry. But they actually could, 
And what a great event they would have missed if Jesus had taken advice from them. But the difference between them is Jesus knew. He believed. And as a result, he did this. But let's not be too hard on the disciples. Sometimes you're tired and you're hungry and it affects your faith. And there are sometimes when we aren't believing because of just physical needs that we have. In the same way, there are people who can't hear the gospel, who, who can't know that God loves them because they're so hungry or because they're in such stress in their, in their lives. And that's why it's so important in missions to come and bless people and feed them. It's why with the, the boxes of love that we're, that we're do, dispersing today and that will be given out, it's a box of food for people that don't have food, and it says, God loves you. And somehow as they're eating their meal, Thanksgiving's a little different. Oh, they know it has something to do with Jesus, but now as the food is on their table, wow, now they can hear. As, you know, as the Lord has given us the opportunity, like I mentioned with Chom No, and also in Africa with Steve Goodman's son, Justin, who ministry to go out where people don't know anything about Jesus, And it's amazing how you stick a well in the ground for a few thousand dollars, and now they have water where they didn't before. It's amazing how after you drink a cold glass of water, the gospel, the idea that God could love you, that he wants to be in a relationship with you, it just sounds different because you've cared enough. And sometimes people don't believe just because They're too hungry or they're too tired. And that goes for us as Christians too. And it's why, you know, there are times if we don't eat right, it affects us. And sometimes that'll affect our faith. Sometimes we eat too much or we just eat too much junk food. Or frankly, there are some people who eat too healthy. You'd be better off if you'd get a slice of pizza once in a while. And because once you feel like, oh, okay, now I'm back. Sometimes we need to set aside a Sabbath day and rest. Sometimes it just can't happen. But again, our faith, anyone's faith, can often be tied in with just a a lack in our lives. Hungry, tired. Beware of those times when you wear yourself down too much and you deprive yourself too much. and, And then all of a sudden you find that you have weaknesses that you fall into sin that you would have never fallen into if you took care of yourself. And so this is something that, again, can be a block to belief. It can be a block to faith. It's just not acknowledging the human needs. In this case, Jesus had enough faith to get through this. The disciples kind of didn't, and we'll see. They didn't really learn their lesson too much. But moving on, next thing, he sent them away in the boat. He went off to pray. He still had more time to spend with the Father. But as it happened, he was up on the mountain praying, and he looked out in the sea, and the disciples were there in the boat. And it says that when they were there, evening had come, verse 47, the boat was in the middle of the sea. He was alone on the land, and he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. So they're out there in trouble on the sea. Two chapters before they had been in trouble on the sea and he was sleeping in the boat. This is worse. They're back in a storm and Jesus isn't even here. 
Now they really started freaking out. And it got worse when it looked like a guy is walking on the water, but he's like ignoring them. He's acting like, oh, he's just going to walk right by. Now, at this point of the story, the other Gospels tell us about Peter going, Jesus, I want to walk with you on the water. And he got out and actually walked on the water for a while till he sunk. It's kind of funny that Mark leaves that out because remember the Gospel of Mark is the story of Jesus as was told by Peter to Mark. So Peter was so embarrassed about the end of the story, he just like, eh, never mind. Mark was going, now wait, Peter, I heard that you walked. No, 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 just leave that out of the story. Let's just get to the point. So the disciples were out there in the storm. Jesus walking on the water. As you read there, he, they, they thought it was a ghost. They were freaking out. They were screaming and crying out, supposing that it was a ghost. And they saw him, and they were troubled. But when he talked to them and said, Be of good cheer, it's I, don't be afraid, he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. That's kind of weird. See, according to what Mark says here, they were actually freaking out and then overly excited because they didn't get the loaves thing. They didn't learn what they were supposed to learn from the feeding of the 5,000 and from the other experiences that they had with them. And their belief in this case was partly because of a bad memory. Now, if Jesus had just days before calmed the sea after waking up out of a sound sleep, that time he was with them, this time he wasn't, what's the difference? Why wouldn't you expect him to do the same thing? But they still weren't convinced that he wanted to save them. But not only that, they had just seen him feed 5,000 people from five loaves and two fishes. You would think, and often we say when, there's a, when we see a miracle, that it increases our faith. But a lot of times seeing miracles doesn't increase our faith. It, sometimes it lessens our faith. The more evidence that you have, the less faith that's required. But in this case, the critical thing was that he would do miracles so that they would learn what he is capable of and how much he cares for them, and then they would be able to be out on their own because it would be a short time later when he would leave and they were going to be on their own. He would always be with them by his spirit. But see, this was a lesson for them, and they hadn't learned the lesson. They forgot all about the fact that he can feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, and now they thought he couldn't save them when they're in a storm. And then when he does it, they overly were exaggerated in their gratefulness. And he's like, wait a minute. Why are you acting like this is such a big deal? You didn't learn. And again, as it says here, very telling, they, hadn't, they didn't understand about the loaves because their heart was hardened. When we forget what God has done, and we find ourselves alone. We find ourselves in a place where it's not easy. And we can't sense his presence and he's not right here. We have a choice. 
We can either look at what God has done and believe in his faithfulness, or we can harden our heart. We can forget what he has done and only look at what's going on now, and that's how heart gets, hearts get hard. There are some people who reject Jesus Christ because, frankly, God has done a bunch of things for them, but they don't remember. They don't remember all the times that they were in trouble and God bailed them out. They didn't even think it was God. Oh, at the time, they may have been praying, and then God came through, and then they go, boy, that was lucky. And even for us as Christians, when we freak out about life, when we panic, when we act like, ah, crying out to him in such an exaggerated way, or even thanking him when something good happens as if we thought it would never happen, our hearts become hard. We aren't noticing this is typical of God. This is what I would expect from him. God's track record with me is outstanding. I expect him to come through. I expect him to work. And that keeps my heart soft because I know that his heart is soft toward me. And in this case, unbelief, a hardening of hearts, happens when you don't learn what God took you through already. When you lose sight of his blessings in the past, so often God will bless us in an amazing way. And then if he takes some of it back, we don't want that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. You know, and so there are people today who, boy, they were really celebrating and excited about the fact that, man, do you know how much my house is going up in value? And now the house is going down in value and it's like God's ripping me off. What's happening here? You know what? If God has blessed you in the past, he'll continue to bless you. If he's taken care of you before, he'll take care of you now with or without your house. Hasn't God proven enough from what he's done already that we should trust him, that we should know that he will provide for us, that we know that he loves us and whatever he does for us is going to be good? Well, if you forget the past, your heart will harden and you will constantly be panicked and worried and thinking that he doesn't know, can't care, can't do it, and you'll be seeing ghosts everywhere. You'll be paranoid about everything. But, hey, we know him. We know what he's done for us. How about trusting him for the future based on what he has done for us in the past? That's how faith works. It's why the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Because not only looking at my own life, but when I read the word and I see how faithful God has been for thousands and thousands of years, I see people who are in much worse situations than I've ever been in, and God has come through for them, and I go, that same God loves me. His word tells me that. And so he, I expect him to work in my life in the same way that he's always done. God never changes. His character is always loving and good and he will always take care of his people and we ought to believe that but if we don't our heart gets hard and we don't have faith and then when he does come through for us we look ridiculous hooping and hollering like some you know we never expected it to happen you know you have a dog you know when your dog you know at the end of the day you come home the dog is so excited to see you 
a lot more than your spouse is. <laughs> but the difference between your dog and your spouse, your spouse knows you generally do come home. And they expect it, so they're not jumping all over the place. You know, they know you've proven yourself. Or, well, we'll <laughs> leave out the second possibility. But dogs, when you leave, they think you're never coming back. And so when you come back, they're like, I can't believe it. You came back every time. Short attention span. But you're not a dog. God has been faithful. He always will be faithful. You can count on him. You can believe it. And that should give our lives a consistency. That should give us the, the, the total dependence on him that we fully expect him to come through. We know it. We've heard the story too many times before. We've learned from the loaves and the fishes, and therefore our heart doesn't get hard. All of these factors in this chapter, read the chapter over and see if you can pick out any others, but this is, you know, the Lord speaking to us about unbelief. Maybe there are people here today who've never accepted Jesus Christ, and maybe you've rejected him because of one of these reasons. I encourage you to give another look at it. Think about it. Are you really doing the right thing? Are you really doing what's good for yourself? But for all of us, in the way we live our lives every day, are our hearts hard? Are we, are we, are we just becoming so familiar with, with the Lord that we just take him for granted? Are we rejecting his word because we don't like what he wants us to do? Are some of these things what's blocking God from working in our lives? I hope not. But check it out and think about those things because the same belief that will cause people to reject Jesus Christ for eternity is the same kind of unbelief that rips us off every day from the blessings that God wants to give us. We are to live by faith. If we really believe him, we'll obey him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for your faithfulness to us. We have no right to complain about anything you've ever done for us, Lord. God, help us to walk in that faith and that belief. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.